Welcome to the intersection of faith and the culture. This is the Wall Builder Show. I'm Rick Green here with David and Tim Barton. You can find out more about us and the program, and you can also listen to some of the past programs over the last few months right there at wallbuilderslive.com. That's our website for the radio program. You can get a list of our stations, a lot of other great information there. And then over at wallbuilders.com, you can get some great tools for your family, whether it's DVDs or watching videos online or getting some of the books or just reading some of the articles right there on the website. All of it is designed to equip and inspire you to be a part of the solution, to be a good citizen and live out your freedom in a a way that will preserve it for future generations. We've got your questions to get to today. Thanks for sending those in. It is Foundations of Freedom Thursday. All right, guys, jumping into those questions. And folks, if you haven't sent yours in and you've got a question about the Constitution or history or application of biblical worldview to some of the issues going on out there, whatever you got, send it in to us. We'd love to uh, air your question and uh, and talk about it. So radio at wallbuilders.com. That's the email, radio at wallbuilders.com. Nothing off the table. We love hearing from you, so send them in. This one comes from David, uh, not David Barton here on the program, another David. He said, uh, howdy, David, Rick, and Tim. Have questions related to Texas Governor Abbott's battle with President Biden over the continued influx of illegal immigrants coming across the border. Number one, are Abbott's uh, Governor Abbott's actions to use Texas DPS and Texas National Guard to secure the border and protect the state constitutional? Two, if so, what was the basis for the U.S. Supreme Court decision allowing the Department of Homeland Security to remove border security provisions placed by Texas agencies? And he's talking about, you know, cutting the razor wire, thereby countering the actions of the Texas agencies. And three, I've heard that some Texas Democrat members of Congress are calling for President Biden to take control of the Texas National Guard. Does the Constitution allow for a president to take command of a state's National Guard for domestic duties within the state without some declaration of war or insurrection? Thanks for all you do to educate and inform people about the truth. God bless you. All right, that's David out in League City, Texas. David, thanks for sending that in. We're going to need about five programs to answer all three of these questions. So, fellas, our schedule is full for the next uh, five Thursdays. What is it they say when you're when somebody's wanting to uh, in Top Gun when he wanted to buzz the tower and he says something is full? Well, I can't remember the line now. The pattern is full. That's it. The pattern is full. Uh, thank you, David, for filling the pattern. <laughs> All right, guys, let's take the first one. Our Governor Abbott's actions uh, using our our DPS and National Guard to secure the border is that constitutional? That's going to be one of the things that will be a huge decision in the coming months. And that's going to be, are we going to use the progressive interpretation of the Constitution or do we go back to original intent? Because original intent, the founding fathers dealt with immigration extensively back in their day. We had so many people coming to America from all across the world for the same kind of reasons. They wanted freedom. They wanted to be here. They wanted out from a tyranny of their own government. And so they were coming here and the founding fathers had extensive extensive discussions of immigration, including when they were writing the Constitution and putting clauses in there about immigration. As a matter of fact, of the guys who signed the Constitution, nearly one-fifth of them were themselves immigrants. They were not even born in America. So they as immigrants, and they probably took the, the strongest position on how important immigration is and how important that you control the borders and how important it is that you have high standards for those who are coming in, uh, that the immigrants themselves who are signers of the Constitution probably raised the bar much higher than those who had lived here. But nonetheless, all that to say hey, that, David, uh, think about it. That's the, that's the, you know, the Hispanic community in America that yep, came here illegally. Right. They're the ones standing up the most to say, we don't want illegal immigration. We want it to be legal. So it's very similar, right? It is exactly similar. And those who came here legally and went through the process, they now understand why that's so important. And the founding fathers talked about it. They said, you know, we, we came here thinking we were coming to another nation and we would have voted and acted as if we'd been in our home nation, which would have turned America into our home nation. 
but because it required five, well, some some of those at the Constitutional Convention said you ought to wait 14 years before you allow an immigrant to vote because it'll take about that long to learn how to think like an American and understand American institutions. Some said nine years. They settled basically on five years. But they said, if you come from a nation, it'll take you five years to learn how different America is, how different philosophy is, how different the government is, how that it serves the people the, and, and not vice versa. You need five years of inculcation of the American culture Otherwise, you'll destroy it by voting the way you voted in Mexico or Brazil or Russia or China or wherever. So that's why they were so adamant on that in that time frame. Now, who enforces that? Back in the founding era, this was a shared responsibility. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, I think it was 1803, Jefferson said, look, the real purpose of the federal government with immigration is to make sure that everyone who arrives on the shore is healthy. You don't have tuberculosis or some big disease. But then it's up to the states on what you do with immigration. Hey, wait a second. Wasn't that what they were doing at Ellis Island back then? I mean, George Washington, right, established Ellis Island. Alexander Hamilton came right through there. Uh, except, no, Ellis Island was the 1890s. And this <laughs> Just is a few of, years later, right? Just a couple right, of years off here. <laughs> this is one of the ones we have pointed out as one of the very easy things that if you just understood this basic concept, it, it, it shoots so many holes in this idea that only the federal government can, does, or should is there was no, like this unilateral idea of, of federal immigration. W where did that happen? Because again, Ellis Island was the 1890s. So who was doing immigration before that? And, and to make your point, this is when very clearly it goes back, it was the states. And I, I, I'm trying to give this as a really silly, but the most simplified example possible the federal government was not the ones doing this. They were working with the states. The states were the ones doing the operation of this. The federal government was working with the states. The federal government was not usurping the states. The states were the ones processing this, and they were working with the federal government and vice versa as this happened. And to go to your point, Tim, 1892 when Ellis Island opened, when George Washington did the ribbon cutting there with Thomas Jefferson at Ellis Island, and they had the Statue of Liberty there, when they erected the <laughs> Statue of Liberty with George and John and all the Yeah, right. 1892 is when Ellis Island opens, and that was based on the fact that the year before, Congress had passed really its first national immigration law, first really federal law on immigration that was purely federal. And so it was the year before that Congress started passing federal immigration laws in that sense. And that goes back to two Supreme Court cases, 1875, 1876, where the Supreme Court said, hey, uh, we, we think that that immigration probably should be a federal issue, not a state issue. And so starting 1875, 1876, you have, I think you could argue it's an activist Supreme Court because they're overturning what previous Supreme Courts had done because they had a different view. And at that time, you had all the Irish immigration, you had the Catholic immigration, you had Chinese immigration, you had all this immigration floods coming in, and they're saying, just let the federal government take care of all this. And, and so that's 1892 when Ellis Island opens. That's the first federal immigration facility. So what did you do for the first hundred years? Well, you let the states be involved with it. So it really was a shared responsibility. And, and to that extent, it, it's... What, what Abbott did is consistent with what would, the Founding Fathers would have been doing back in their day. It's not consistent with what would have been in 1892. So to answer David's question on whether it was right for Abbott to use the, the, the Texas forces to do this, it depends on whether you're interpreting it under original intent for the first century or under the court's reinterpretation of the last century. But under original intent, this is a shared responsibility. Well, and Dad, even along those lines, this is one of the very unique times 
when the federal government is not upholding the actual laws of the nation intentionally, and then they are preventing states from upholding federal immigration laws that the federal government is abandoning. And so generally speaking, that this never would have been considered unconstitutional because the states would have been working with the federal government to uphold the same standard, enforcing the same laws. And it's this really kind of interesting quandary when the federal government is refusing to uphold the actual laws of the nation, and then a state decides to step in to uphold a moral and ethical standard, and really even the legal standard that the federal government has optionally, arbitrarily chosen not to do. And then the federal government is coming after the state for following the laws of the nation. It's so ridiculous, but it's, I think, one of the very few times that we can look at any kind of immigration situation where the the federal government, the states were diametrically opposed in the outcome of the application of following the law. Well, you know what's interesting, guys, is the is the intellectual dishonesty, uh, uh, which is not shocking, of course, but the intellectual dishonesty of the Biden administration, the arguments they made to the court to get this decision, where they can now go cut the razor wire. They they literally argue. I I just got to read this to you. They 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 literally argue that they're enforcing the statutes, right? That they're there for a purpose. Now they only use the words like, if I remember right, it was um, interrogate, uh, process, uh, possibly apprehend. The statute actually says that the reason they have the ability to come within within twenty five miles of the border and enter these areas is quote for the purpose of patrolling the border to prevent the illegal entry of aliens into the United States. And they're standing before the court saying, um, you know what, we need to move those 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 evil Texans out of the way and cut their razor wire out of the way so that we can do our job. And then instead of preventing the illegal entry of aliens into the United States, the whole case is, is around this September 20th day where they literally threw a rope. They literally put a ladder rope down and helped the illegal aliens cut the razor wire, threw the rope down, helped 4,555 illegal aliens that day, and then they did not apprehend them. They did not interrogate them. They did not detain them or any of those things. They literally said, hey, walk that way. It's going to be a mile. And then, you know, would you please stop at the uh, processing center there? And guess what? Half, about half, a little more than half, showed up for processing a mile down the road. Where the rest go? We have no idea. So my whole point is they're literally standing in front of the court saying the Texans are not letting us fulfill the law, and then they're turning around and on camera not fulfilling the law. They're doing the opposite of fulfilling the law. And that's why Texas, I think, has such a good argument for saying, nope, you do not have the right to cut our razor wire and go in there and aid and abet um, the, the, you know, the breaking of the law. And, and going with that, I'll remind people that when Governor Abbott took his oath of office, it was not an oath just to uphold the state laws of Texas and the Constitution of Texas. It was the laws and the Constitution of the federal government in the United States. His oath of office was to uphold all those laws, state and federal. And so if the government's not going to uphold his federal laws, he's simply doing what he took an oath to do, and that was That's uphold right. federal laws. But there's, I've, we, I've heard a whole lot of discussion on this, and I think most people have, have missed a really key point here. The Supreme Court did not order that Abbott has to take that razor wire down and say the razor wire is unconstitutional. They did not. They had a 5-4 decision, 
and there is no written explanation by any justice. It's just a 5-4 procedural decision that said, hey, we're going to vacate what the Fifth Circuit did. We're going to let that trial go all the way through. We'll weigh in on this later. So all we're doing is we're simply saying the Fifth Circuit, we're going to vacate it, and they need to go through with the trial. So the, the Supreme Court did not do anything in the sense of saying, hey, you have to tear down that razor wire that, that Texas illegally put up. That That's not it. Media's been covering it wrong. So that's all right. it is is an unsigned opinion, five to four, that they're vacating the Fifth Circuit decision. And the Fifth Circuit is, is over Texas and Louisiana and Mississippi. So that's the federal court that said, hey, there's going to be a trial on this. And they simply vacated the early part of that decision. There's no decision by the Supreme Court on this yet at all. Well, the part they vacated was that uh, that, that that Biden and his team could not cut down razor wire. So vacating it then says, okay, Biden and his team can cut down razor wire. What what it doesn't mean and what it did not say is that Abbott in Texas can't put up razor wire. So that's right. Right. What we're super interesting is now you have this weird uh, kind of dichotomy of well, somebody can put it up and somebody can take it down, and neither one has been declared the winner. Neither one has been declared right or wrong. And so even as, as, as Biden has been saying, you know, Texas, get out of the way and, you know, whatever kind of threat and force they're going to try to use and leverage. And we're seeing that unfold even this week, right? We're, we're seeing that happen where Abbott doesn't want to back down. Biden doesn't want to back down. But th- this is where even seeing how this plays out in the lower courts, and I'm sure it's going to be appealed no matter who does what going up. And now you have so many states that are siding with Texas on this and are encouraging Texas on this. This is something that is also going to be interesting to see how it plays out in the polls. Uh, it's something that will be interesting to see what Trump does, uh, which, you know, guys on on the break we were talking about, uh, or I guess before we, we got started, uh, even kind of alluding to some of this, you know, it'd be interesting if this is something that uh, positions Governor Abbott, maybe that Trump says, you know, a guy that's willing to fight this fight maybe should be a vice president. And we would have other reasons that, you know, maybe we're not a fan of Abbott in some areas because of what happened early on in covid Maybe he's learned his lesson. I'm not sure. <laughs> Nonetheless, it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out uh, in, in the landscape of the the presidential election and other things going forward. Yeah, you know, you talked about the the other states supporting. I think one of my favorite quotes, uh, well, of course, DeSantis had a great quote where he was saying, do you really think the founding fathers would have would have ratified the Constitution if it meant that they could not protect their own borders? And then do you really think Texas would have joined the union if it meant they can't protect their own borders. I thought that was great. And then there was this really fun one. Christy Nome said, if Texas needs more ra- – she's the governor of uh, South Dakota there. She said, if Texas needs more razor wire, I'll load it up in my pickup truck and bring it to you. I thought that was great too. Uh, all right, guys, quick break. We got an, uh, the last part of David's question when we come back uh, has to do with, you know, uh, essentially uh, federalizing the uh, the uh, Texas National Guard. Stay with us, folks. You're listening to The Wall Builder Show. Hi friends, this is Tim Barton of Wall Builders. This is a time when most Americans don't know much about American history or even Hebrews of the faith. And I know oftentimes for parents, we're trying to find good content for our kids to read. And if you remember back to the Bible, to the book of Hebrews, it has the Faith Hall of Fame where they outlined the leaders of faith that had gone before them. Well, this is something that as Americans, we really want to go back and outline some of these heroes, not just of American history, but heroes of Christianity and our faith as well. I want to let you know about some biographical sketches we have available on our website. One is called the Courageous Leaders Collection. 
collection. And this collection includes people like Abigail Adams, Abraham Lincoln, Francis Scott Key, George Washington Carver, Susanna Wesley, even the Wright brothers. And there's a second collection called Heroes of History. In this collection, you'll read about people like Benjamin Franklin or Christopher Columbus, Daniel Boone, George Washington, Harriet Tubman, Friends, the list goes on and on. This is a great collection for your young person to have and read, and it's a providential view of American and Christian history. This is available at wallbuilders.com. That's www.wallbuilders.com. We're back here on Wallbuilders. Thanks for staying with us, and uh, we're in the middle of a three-part question from David in League City. David, thanks for the question. Uh, we sort of covered the whole, you know, can can uh, Governor Abbott uh, use the Texas National Guard and the DPS? to protect the border, and we didn't really get into the constitutional provisions, but of course Governor Abbott is now stating exactly what we've said for years. Article 4, Section 4, it's the federal government's responsibility to repel an invasion and and protect against an invasion. It's the guarantee clause. And then Article 1, Section 10, if the federal government's not doing its job and there's imminent danger, uh, can do what it needs to do. And uh, I think still going to have to do more. you got to take those folks and place them back across the border, but uh, but this is still a, a big step, and, and even the language in his statement last week was was really strong, stronger than he's ever said. He literally said that the, that the federal government broke the compact with the states. So um, so that's the, the, the first two and kind of the battle over this, uh, this decision. And by the way, the court case is all about property and whether or not you can destroy the chattel of the state, whether or not the feds can do that. So it's not even technically the constitutional question of securing the border, but it's being used for that particular question. Okay, now, guys, to the third question. Um, can... So, yeah, this is a great question. So what happens if President Biden says, well, you know, you're using the Texas National Guard to to uh, to to to, uh, you know, secure the border. I'm just going to nationalize. I'm going to I'm going to call up the National Guard and then I have control. Interesting question. What do you all think? You know, this is one of those shared responses. And by the way, you know, David asked here, he said, I've heard that some Texas Democrat members of Congress are calling for President Biden to take control of the Texas National Guard. I would say that if you eliminate those last five words, he's got it really right. If you said, I've heard that some Democrat, Texas Democrat members of Congress are calling for President Biden to take control, that's it. They, they want to take control of everything. They want to take control of climate. They want to take control yeah. of everything. So it doesn't have much to do with the Texas National Guard. That's just the excuse. But going back to that, the, the Texas National Guard, people need to understand that the guard can be called up by the president, but you have to have a declaration of some kind of emergency. So you can call them up for, you know, Hurricane Katrina. We need help with law and order and we need help with with rescues and the floods and we need to keep looters out of the stores, whatever. It doesn't have to be an, an act of war or insurrection, just some kind of national emergency where you've got to have some kind of of help. And, and that's been done a number oh, of times. You know, David, this is a great point you're making because, hey, the border's fine. There's no emergency down there. It's all that's secure. It. There's no, ah, good that's point, it. brother. Yeah. How does he, how does he say on one hand, hey, there's an emergency. I got to call the Texas National Guard. And then on the other hand, you just play the clips of he and Kamala saying, oh, there's no problem with the border. Everything's great. My is saying everything's great at the border. It's perfectly secure. Well, then what's the emergency? Yeah. And, and, and why are you calling up the Texas Guard if there is no emergency? Because you yeah. can't just take it over. It is. And now Texas is one of 23 states that also have organized state militias. So we, we have not only the Texas National Guard, we've got the Texas State Guard. But the National Guard, 
What happens is Governor Abbott is over the National Guard. That is a Texas force. It can be called into federal service, but he's also got the Texas State Guard, which can be called into state service. 23 states have that. Other states ought to develop it, by the way. If you're a state, you ought to get your own state guard. You need your own organized uh, militias and, and extra forces for emergencies and whatever crisis comes along. So Abbott is still in charge of the Texas National Guard. And I, I firmly believe that if Biden were to say, hey, I'm taking the Texas National Guard and we're going to keep Texas from tearing down razor wire, I think that that Abbott would directly countermand that order and you would have a good fight in court. And I think the state would win on that. I think the state would win on, on that particular issue because if there's not an emergency, you can't just call them up and federalize them just because you want to. This is one of those shared responsibilities that goes all the way back to the American War for Independence. I have a question for you then, Dave, you know, because I, and, and I may be wrong on this, guys, correct my memory, but but when they did the whole, you know, um, you know, calling up the National Guard and had all the, you know, fences and everything around the Capitol and, and Washington, D.C. looked like a war zone for a while there with the overreaction. Um, didn't some governors actually call their National Guard back? They did. They did. So a wouldn't that be kind of, of the same uh, tug of war there or, 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 you know, give and take? Absolutely. Uh, and it would be. And, and there was a number of states that said, we refuse to participate in this. And a number of governors called their their National Guard home because that National Guard is under the control of the governor. Now, you know, it can't be federalized in the right situation, but that sure wasn't J6. J6 wasn't the right situation. And there's no way they were going to win that in court. And so there were a number uh, of those those guards that did come home, Rick. You're exactly right. And, and on the other hand, you did have the riots back in Little Rock in 1954 on segregation, where that Eisenhower federalized uh, the, the Arkansas National Guard and moved them away from enforcing segregation. He moved in the 101st Airborne to take the place of the Arkansas National Guard. So there's, there's times and places where you've seen it go kind of both ways. Uh, but I don't think Biden would have a leg to stand on in a court, at least in a constitutional court. He might in the San Francisco court. Although I've got to say, we've seen some really interesting rulings coming out of the Ninth Circuit in the last couple of years that really do appear that they're reading the Constitution again, which is good news as well. Well, you know, guys, it would be interesting, too. We, we know a lot of people in the National Guard, and if they got such an order, it would be quite fascinating to see if there would be pushback. Uh, one of the things that we recognize, every member is supposed to be of, of Congress, a public service. But certainly the military, they take an oath to uphold the Constitution to defend against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And I think there'd be people recognizing there's an invasion. And if the president is doing things detrimental to America, I would be very curious what level of pushback or uh, reticence or resistance there would be, because I suspect there would be some. Now, I think it probably would be more vocal, retired people speaking out, explaining that some of their friends still involved. They're not excited. They don't want to do it. But when you talk about a really difficult position uh, with the potential of uh, of resistance from inside your own National Guard, it, it certainly could be over this kind of issue. And I'm not sure if Biden sees it or not. I, I'm not sure what people are telling him or advising him, but I know a lot of people in active military and, and National Guard on reserves. And I mean, the people I know, they, they would certainly want to defer to obedience to the commander in chief, but they also recognize, and especially after COVID, this became a, a much stronger reality for many of them, 
they also recognize that they have a responsibility to not follow unconstitutional orders to a certain extent. And this certainly could be a situation that that could raise some questions for many people. And I, I think there's another factor here that is worth remembering, and that is that before Abbott became governor, he was the attorney general. And he argued and won a number of cases at the U.S. Supreme Court over constitutional issues, over original intent kind of issues. And so I think he is he is one guy that if he felt like that he was being pushed or the president was stepping in to do something that was not within constitutional bounds, I think Abbott would, would mount a very aggressive uh, resistance. And I don't mean physical armed resistance. I mean a, a legal resistance in the sense of he's not going to he's not going to go along with that. So, Tim, to go to where you are, not only would there be internal uh, pressure from from the guard members, I think there would be external pressure from the governor and from the staff and, and from most of the Texas leaders uh, right down through the attorney general himself to fight that. I think it'd be very, very difficult for Biden to be able to pull that off. So, David, great question. You know, lots of stuff talked about. But bottom line is, don't let how that decision, the Supreme Court decision of last week is being portrayed now, suggest that the Supreme Court has taken a position that what Texas is doing on the border is unconstitutional, illegal, and has to stop, because that was not the decision at all. That was not it in any way, shape, fashion, or form. Uh, I think this is going to move probably toward the right constitutional conclusion by the time this Fifth Circuit trial is over. I think you'll get a really strong constitutional decision out of the Fifth Circuit and the, I think the Supreme Court will probably defer to that once it's gone through the circuit. But we'll see. I don't think the Supreme Court has enough. And, and by the way, Rick, you and I and, and Tim were talking about this earlier. It, it appeared that two of the more conservative justices, although not the most conservative, that's Roberts and, and uh, Amy Coney Barrett. It appeared that they went with the liberals on this thing. And I, I would say that, no, it's not really going to the liberals. I think that they have a view that it's the federal government that's to be in charge of immigration, not the states. And I don't think they took a position on the razor wire. I think they took a position on, no, 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 this, this is really more of a federal issue than a state issue. And, and so I, I think that's where they came down, not ruling at all on the merits of what was going on in that thing. So even when you see that Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett were on the other side of the liberals, that doesn't mean that they've gone liberal. It means that there is a federalism argument that they are, are probably having in their mind that says, hey, the feds do have a role in this and let it work out the Fifth Circuit. So still a lot to go on this. I don't think yeah. it'll end up the way the media has been portraying this thing. And I think they've really misportrayed it badly over the last eight to 10 days on this thing. And and with there being no opinions written and it just being a decision, there's no way for Sonosa. I mean, it could be as simple as them thinking, you know, this is too big of an issue for the injunction uh, to stay in place. We want to wait until we see the full merits of the case. It could be as simple as that. Maybe they just wanted the injunction to go away. Again, nothing decided on the merits at this point. So going to be really interesting to watch. Well, David from League City, thank you for sending this in. You have the rare distinction of uh, of the entire program being devoted to your set of questions. So great job sending those in. Uh, folks, send more to us at radio at wallbuilders.com and we'll hit those next week. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to Wall Builders. Wall Builders.